0: Uh, The reading for today is taken from Genesis chapter 13 verses 5 through 13. Here's what it says. And Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the like, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. May God bless us all in the reading for this morning.
1: Good morning, everybody. You know, everybody loves a story, right? Uh, I think it's just part of what it means to be human, actually. Facts, uh, figures, opinions, I mean, they're sort of interesting maybe, but when you hear those same facts and ideas woven into a narrative, you know, experienced through the lives of the characters in a story, it can mean so much more. It can be so much more impactful. It's been this way forever. We've been telling stories forever. Stories can help us see things from a different point of view. They have the power to shape our minds, to reshape our minds and reform our thinking about what we believe to be true. Through a story, we can enter into a new world where ideas can play out, and then we can draw conclusions from that, you know, the moral of the story. And those morals can reshape the way we live our lives today. It's it's powerful. Stories are powerful. They're engaging, right? They're They're alive in some ways. Everybody loves a good story, and so today I'm thankful that we can enter into this story together. From the first book of the Bible, it's a story about an uncle and his nephew, and a somewhat sort of weird, uh, but yet powerful relationship between them. The characters of the story come to us in Genesis 12, uh, and I'll read a few verses here, kind of sporadic maybe, but we'll get the gist of it. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I'll show you. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And then verse five says he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that they'd accumulated. So this is the setup for the story. You know, God calls this man named Abram, also known as Abraham, to leave his hometown and go to the land where God will make him into a great and powerful nation. Abram was a faithful man, and so he leaves his home, takes his wife and his nephew, Lot, with him, and they go. It's a pretty simple start to the story. But like every good story, there's many twists and turns to come, and so we're going to go through some of that. Uh, This morning, I want to walk through this amazing story together and point out a few things along the way that I think will help us in our relationships with one another. You see, as simple as this relationship started between Abram and Lot, things get pretty complicated. But of course, I mean, that makes sense, right? Relationships are complicated. At least for Abram, uh, one of the main complications was that his nephew ended up getting involved with the wrong crowd, you could say. I'm sure many of us can relate to this, right? We, We probably have experienced what it's like to see a loved one go down the wrong path. We see the dangers, but it seems like they're blind to it. What are we supposed to do in a situation like that? Now, I don't want to overpromise here because, you know, we're not going to solve every relationship problem with this story. But with that said, there are some really powerful principles in here that I think we can follow today for our benefit. And so as we go through this today, I just want to highlight four uh, four of the relationship principles we see in this story. So let's pick it back up where uh, where our reading was from this morning. Uh, we see the first problem right away. It comes up right away. Abram and Lot, they both had lots of animals, right? Lots of people with them. And it was crowded, too crowded. Verse 7 says that fights were breaking out between their clans. And this is where we learn the first principle of the relationships comes right away. We see this from Abram. As the older relative, he had a place of authority, and it would have been natural for him to choose the area he wanted for himself and send Lot away somewhere else. And especially in this, you know, collectivist culture that they were in at the time, you know, where respecting your elders, that was very important. It's actually astounding that Abram gave Lot the first choice of the land. And so we see this first principle for maintaining a strong relationship. is humility. But of course, you know, that's easier said than done, right? Especially when the person you're trying to be humble towards is not returning the favor, and that's exactly what happens. In verse 10, it says that Lot chose the best land for himself. I mean, I guess you can't blame him, right? His uncle gave him the choice, and he picked what was best for him. Maybe that's what you'd expect. But it seems like Lot didn't care too much about how this would affect his uncle. He was enticed. He was enticed by what he saw in the plain of the Jordan and he fell, uh, and he went for it rather. But Abram, you know, he, he kind of, he was humble. He let it go. He could have put him in his place, but he didn't. He could have scolded him for being selfish. He could have pointed out the fact that since he's older, Lot should fall in line and respect him. He could have done that, but he chose not to. And I think there's a lesson in this for us. You know, we live in a culture that's very much self-centered, don't we? We see ourselves, we tend to see ourselves as the center of our own universe. But for those of us who are following Jesus, we're supposed to take ourselves out of the center and put Jesus there instead. But honestly, that's a hard switch to make. I don't really think it's something that we can do by just trying harder either. In my experience, the only thing that really makes that happen, the only thing that really helps us to put Jesus in the center is just to try to grasp how valuable he is. How valuable it is to be a child of God. And when we really get that, instead of thinking about how things, uh, that how the things that are going on will affect us, we start to become more interested in how the actions, how our actions will affect them and their relationship with Jesus. And yeah, I, that means that sometimes we will be wronged by other people. And I know that's not a popular thing to talk about or to suggest in our culture. I'm not saying that we should be a doormat for everybody else, but all I'm saying is that when Jesus becomes our focus or when God becomes our focus instead of ourselves, we are naturally going to deprioritize our desire to win at all costs. We're going to see the value and humility for others. We're going to see that it's good to put others first for their sake. We see this humble attitude in Abram. He valued his relationship more than his pride. He was willing to suffer a loss to maintain peace with his nephew. Abram was playing the long game, you could say, and he knew the value of humility in that. Okay, so going back to the story, I just want to put a map up here so we can kind of see, visualize what's happening. The text says that after they separated, Abram stayed in Cana, Canaan, the land of Canaan, in Mamre, but then Lot went to the cities of the plain, the Bible calls them, which is where these five kingdoms are here, including Sodom and Gomorrah. And don't forget this name because it's going to come up again later, Zoar, the city of Zoar. And so the plot thickens, you could say, with some pretty serious foreshadowing. Uh, as it says in, in uh, Genesis 13, verses 12 and 13, Abram lived in the land of Canaan. While Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And here's the foreshadowing. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Dumb, 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 right? (laughs) Something's coming. We're going to see that. So verse 13 makes it pretty clear that uh, where Lot was headed, it was not a good place. This was the bad crowd, the wrong side of the tracks you could say. And don't miss this detail either. It says here that Lot pitched his tents near Sodom, but not in Sodom. And that's going to come up again later. You know, maybe he just thought that he would be strong enough to resist the temptation, uh, to get involved with the bad influences. Or, or maybe he was just blind to the risks of where he was walking into. But either way, it wasn't a good move for him. Temptation has a way of doing that, right? It has a way of blinding us. We rationalize things in our minds sometimes that, you know, this time there won't be any negative repercussions. But of course, there always is. It's always a lie from the enemy. I believe Abram saw the mistake that Lot was making by heading to this area, but Lot was just too blinded by the allure of the fertile land and his own dreams of success to see the dangers that were waiting for him. And this leads us to our second relationship principle. The fact that Abram gave Lot freedom to make his own choices. As his uncle, he could have forced him to go somewhere else. Abram seemed to know that it was a wicked place, but yet he allowed Lot to make his own decision. And just like the first principle about being humble, I mean, this one is hard to do too, isn't it? Maybe parents know this better than anyone else. When someone you love is headed down a bad path, it can be so difficult to watch. And I want to bring a little bit of balance to this too because, you know, the Bible does say that we have the responsibility to look out for one another, to watch out for people who are caught in sin. We don't just let them wander off. You know, Galatians says this in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. But what are we supposed to do if they don't want to be restored? What if they want to wander into the plane on their own, no matter what we say? What do we do then? It's complicated. I think this story shows us that sometimes it's going to come to a point where we have to let people make their own mistakes. This is probably one of the hardest things to do with someone you love. But sometimes the only way to really learn the danger of sin is to be hurt by it. It will leave a scar for life, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But it's also a powerful teacher. Uh, Maybe Lot was in a situation like this. You know, let's go back to the story. Sometimes, uh, sometime after he pitched his tents uh, near Sodom, there was a big war that broke out in the area, and, and really had nothing to do with Lot, but he was living among those five kingdoms, as I pointed out earlier, which which included that which included Sodom, right? He was living nearby there, and, and these five, uh, four enemy kingdoms from a distant land invaded the cities of the plain and, and fought against those five kingdoms, and as a result, Lot got mixed up in a war that had nothing to do with him. And it turned out pretty badly for him. We go into Genesis 14 now, verse 11. It says, The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, if you remember, we read previously that Lot had pitched his tents near Sodom. But now, after some time had passed, he moved right in. The bad move. This was a bad move for him because when the battle was going down, he got caught in the crossfire and he was taken captive. Thankfully, though, somebody familiar had his back. In Genesis 14, again, verse 13, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. When Hebrew heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And then verse 16 said, He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative and his possessions together with the women and all the people. Uh, So Abram heard that his nephew Lot was captured and he sprang into action and he went to rescue him. And Abram and his crew, they not only recovered Lot, but they also got all the people and possessions from those other five kingdoms. This is a big win. And it brings us, I think, to our third relationship principle. That Abram was involved in Lot's life. You know, even though Abram didn't agree with his choices, it didn't stop him from being there when Lot needed him. Consider the fact that Mamre, where Abraham was living, was close to 100 kilometers away by foot. You know, I'm sure that that servant of Lot's, he could have gone to a lot of places to find help for Lot, but he knew somehow that the best place for him to go was to Lot's uncle. There's a lesson in this for us today, right? Someone you love might be mixed up in something that you don't agree with, and you might be angry about that, and maybe rightly so but you might be tempted to cut them out. Don't do that. Stay involved anyway. I mean, as long as it's safe for you to do, as long as you're spiritually strong enough to avoid getting dragged into it yourself, stay involved. This doesn't mean that you condone what they're doing. Not at all. Actually, we see this from Abram. It it was the opposite. Look at what it says in Genesis 14, 21. After he'd brought everybody back, it says, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. The king of Sodom, he wanted to give Abram a gift for helping to rescue his people, but Abram wasn't having any of it. It's very clear that he wants nothing to do with this king or this kingdom. It's clear that Abram didn't want Lot living there. He didn't like it. He didn't want him getting involved with these people, and it must have made him angry. But yet, he continued to stay involved in Lot's life. And as a result, Abram was the one that Lot turned to, when things got tough. I think we should follow this same pattern, too, not not just because Abram did it, but also because we see this in Jesus. You know, Jesus did this with so many people in his life. He was involved in people's lives even if they were from the wrong side of the track, so to speak. So going back to the story, you know, some time passes now. We have to skip to Genesis 18. Um, even though Abram had made this heroic effort to save his nephew, Lot, Lot still went back to Sodom. And the story kind of leaves off for a while, but then we pick it up again at this point where these three angels come and visit Abram. And they're bringing some intense news about the future of the city where his nephew is living. See what it says in Genesis 18, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and will see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then skipping to verse 23. Then Abram approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? When Abram hears about what's going to happen to Lot's hometown, he pleads with God for his nephew. I love this section because we see Abraham's heart for Lot. Notice how Abraham pleads the case for him. He doesn't cite the fact that they're related as the reason that he wants God to save him. Right? He appeals for something else. He appeals to God on the basis of Lot's righteousness. Abraham really believes that deep down, Lot is a good man. You might remember that this is the part of the story where there's sort of a negotiation happening between God and Abram. And, and he ends up getting God to agree to the fact that he will not destroy the city of Sodom if he can find ten righteous people living there. Abram probably thought he had a good, a good negotiation, but it turns out there wasn't even ten. But here's the amazing thing I think about the prayer. Abram or Abraham believed that Lot was a good man, even if he was caught up in a bad place. And Abraham wanted God to go into the city and go looking for righteous people, because he knew that God would see the good in his nephew as well. And God heard Abram's prayer, and he spared uh, Lot and his family. He was faithful to his prayer. This is the power of prayer, and it's the it's the final principle that I want to highlight today. You know, one of the most powerful things we can do for someone is to just bring it to God and plead for them. We can tell God about what it is that's good that we see in that person, and how badly we want God to step in and save them. That's what Abram did, and God responded in a big way in in chapter 19, now in, in verse 15, it says. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grabbed his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them out safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. So God sent his angels to Sodom to look for righteous people, and after some... Well, crazy events, I guess you could say that we have to censor because this is a PG sermon. Um, you can look it up yourself. Anyway, the angels, they found out how wicked Sodom really was. But in the process of their investigation, they also met Lot. Now, Lot was certainly not a perfect man. But the angels did find themselves blessed by his hospitality, his generosity, And his protection. You know, Lot was certainly mixed up with a a bad crowd, yes. And he had some very questionable morals. But, yes, there was good in him too. And God saw this. The angels urged him and his family to get out of the city before they destroyed it. And I think it's an important detail that we catch that he hesitated. I mean, even after all this. He he had gone from being somebody who was living near Sodom to somebody who was living in Sodom to now he's at the point where he feels like in some ways he just can't really leave. Sin can feel like that, right? After a while you feel like it kind of has you and you can't let go, you can't give it up. This could have been the end of the story for a lot, but God stepped in in a big way and grabbed their hands and led them out of the city. I mean, this is amazing. It's all in response to a prayer. The angels told Lot to go and live in the mountains, you know, get away from the cities. But Lot responded saying something sort of strange. He said, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a a town near enough to run to and it is small let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And that's why the town is called Zoar. And Zoar means small. But remember, I pointed that out earlier um, on the map. This This town that this town, Zoar, it was one of the wicked cities that was involved in that war. Remember the war where Lot was captured? Zoar, it wasn't a good place either. It wasn't a good place for Lot to go, and but he still wanted to go. There was something alluring about these cities to Lot, these places that were full of wickedness. And I think he was really struggling within himself to shake it off. There was righteousness within him, and there was this temptation for other things. But when Lot stepped in to destroy, or sorry, when God stepped in to destroy Sodom, we finally see a change. We finally see that Lot's eyes were open, and he reaches a turning point in his life. It's what it says in Genesis 19:29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, He remembered Abraham, and He brought Lot out of the catastrophe that had overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his two daughters left. Zoar. And they settled in the mountains. For he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. So finally, after the city is destroyed, Lot was able to see clearly, maybe for the first time, how dangerous this place was, how dangerous this area was for him. And he finally made a change. He resettled in the mountains with his daughters. And for those who know the rest of the story, you know that this is far from a happily ever after ending for Lot and his daughters. But it is still a breakthrough in his life and a good place for us to end the story today. We could probably spend a whole month unpacking these lessons, but today I hope that we've seen some value in these four principles for relationships. That humility matters even if we're, we're struggling with it, it's worth it, you know. It's, it's really trying to prioritize the relationship. We need humility to do that. If we want to win at all costs, the relationship is just not going to function. The second one is that, well, we do need to try to help people who are caught in sin, there's also a point where we need to be willing to let people be free to make their own choices and their own mistakes even. Third is that we need to stay involved in people's lives even if we don't like what they're doing. And fourth is that prayer is such an asset as we rely on God to help the people we love turn back to Him. We need to rely on God. But maybe beyond these four principles, there's a moral of the story that we can also draw out. I think there's a very powerful lesson that Abraham never gave up hope on Lot. And to me, this is one of the lessons that shines most brightly in in all of this story. The power of hope in relationships. Abraham never gave up on Lot, and as a result, God didn't either. The power of this story... You know, from the first book of the Bible, it's very amazing that it only becomes even more clear how powerful it was if we go to one of the last books in the Bible. Because this comes up again in Second Peter in the New Testament. In chapter 2, starting in verse 7, listen to what it says here. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. This description of Lot as a righteous man, it might come as a shock. Even... Uh, or maybe especially if we've read the other parts of the Genesis account where Lot is engaged in some very disturbing d- behavior with his daughters. The fact that Lot was far from perfect, though, is kind of what makes this powerful. You know, he was, per- he, was, uh, he was not perfect, but God still saw something good in his heart. He was mixed up in the wrong place, yes, He had a lot to learn, yes. He needed to make a lot of changes, yes. But despite all this, Abraham was holding out hope that deep down there was good in his nephew. And it's powerful, I think, to see that God recognized that same goodness as well, that there was this inner battle in his life and there was good in him. The story provides hope because we're reminded that God can see the heart. Sometimes we might lose hope that somebody could change. And, and maybe we even believe that, you know, God has given up on them as well, the given up hope that they will ever change. But if you've been thinking this way, I hope this story will cause you to think differently in your relationships. I hope that it will cause you to hope differently in your relationships. We need the power of hope. And I I pray that we can take this lesson from Abraham and Lot into our relationships today. Maybe you're somebody who identifies with Lot. Maybe you feel like you're the person who's gotten yourself into a bad situation. And maybe you wish you had someone like Uncle Abraham to turn to. If that's you... I would just encourage you to talk to somebody in this church family that you trust. Talk to me. We want to help you grow closer to God. And we're willing to be patient. We're willing to walk with you through that. But in addition to the people here, you also need to know that God has not given up on you either. I want to end off with this verse because it's, it's beautiful. From Isaiah 30:18 it says therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you for the Lord is a God of justice how blessed are all those who long for him I love this verse because it ties it all together I mean make no mistake God is a God of justice And like with Sodom, he will certainly judge the wickedness of this world. But that doesn't mean that he's a heartless God. He longs to be gracious to you. He wants to have compassion on you and me. And he's waiting to do it. He's holding out hope for you. That you're going to turn to him. Would you do that today? Would you make the choice to follow Jesus and turn your life over to Him through repentance and baptism? You will be so blessed, like this verse says, if you make that decision. God has not given up hope on you. And we shouldn't give up hope on one another. As the song we're about to sing goes, He's waiting and watching watching for you and for me to come home. May we remember this as we watch and wait for one another as well. Thank you for your time this morning.